settling is not an option for me. Everything I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? Because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of For the Girls. I'm your host, Victoria Alario. And today we will be listening to a conversation that I had with an amazing friend. Her name is Christina Smallwood about motherhood. And I don't want anyone to get, you know, deterred from listening to this episode just because maybe they're young and they listen to For the Girls for like dating advice and high standards and hustle and like self-love and they just like want to hear all that like fun cutesy stuff that I talk about um because this conversation is so deep and so real and so inspiring for anybody so even if you are a young woman and having kids is not even on your radar or maybe you just don't even want to have kids at all I still think anyone and everyone should listen to this interview I don't really even want to call it an interview really just a conversation with Christina because she is such an amazing woman she is wildly successful and she considers herself to be just a basic mom but I think she's anything but basic she's like an extraordinary mom and I call her a super mom in this (laughs) episode so I just think that this story is such a beautiful story that I want everyone to hear it and I really wanted to share this for a long time. Christina was one of the very first names on my list when I was preparing for For the Girls before it even was launched, before you guys even knew what For the Girls was. And I had her on that list for so long because I heard her speak at a convention uh, no, not four years ago. I have known who she is for four years now but I heard her speak three years ago. And she like I was just so blown away by her and her strength and her faith and whether or not you have the same beliefs whether or not you have the same lifestyle I still think that anyone will be moved by her story so I wanted to give that introduction because I know maybe if I was like 22 23 and I knew that an episode was about like motherhood I maybe wouldn't sit and listen to an hour-long conversation because it is a little bit long but trust me it's worth it no matter who you are it's this is for the girls and motherhood is definitely for the girls but before we get into the interview let's lay down the groundwork real quick clearly I did not have an episode come out last week because uh, it was unplanned by the way I didn't plan to like not have an episode out and not tell you guys I had so many people like where's the episode today so I know that I did not give fair warning in advance but it really just happened that way because I was overwhelmed with a lot of things that I was working on and I had launched my new subscription platform last week that I'm very excited about so this is called the confidence club and it is a monthly membership where you will be getting daily texts from me five days a week Monday through Friday straight to your phone and one of the texts which will be every Friday is going to include an exclusive episode of for the girls so if you become a member of this confidence club you are getting additional episodes of for the girls every single Friday I'm calling it for the girls Friday so instead of getting an episode of for the girls only on Mondays through you know the podcast and whatever on all the social media apps you will also get one sent straight to your phone as well as you know everything else that I'm putting out so Monday through Friday 
you're getting content from me, things that I'm working on. I'm making journal worksheets and I'm doing affirmations and it's just really things to help boost your manifestation, your confidence, your self-awareness and lots of things that I kind of work on by myself and things that have helped me get to this place that I am now sharing with you all and it's going to be more content like I always talk about the things that you can do and whatever on these podcasts but now I'm literally sending them to your phone and handing them to you on top of getting the text from me I also launched a Facebook group which for some reason, I guess maybe not everybody has Facebook, but for some reason, you know, I have a lot of subscribers, but not as many people in the Facebook group. But I really want to get that Facebook group up for the members because I want you all to connect and create a community there. And, you know, whether you guys just talk to each other or put anything in there, like requests on what you want me to send or what you want an episode topic to be about. And so that Facebook group is really a place for the members of the confidence club to be able to connect with each other and even connect with me because you don't text me back on this platform you only get the text from me however you know I don't always get back to everyone's dms there's tons of dms the whole thing but now this facebook group is going to be a very small intimate place where we can all interact and you don't have to just like wait for me to post something you guys are more than welcome to post see if there's anyone in your area like I just really want people to become become friends and I know that a lot of people who listen are always looking for friends and they ask me and they say things like how do you meet people and blah 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 so become a member of the confidence club the link to that will be in the little show notes here it is $19.99 a month with the code for the girls but otherwise it would be $49.99 a month and I don't want anyone to get stuck paying the full price because I do have a code the you know the the program hey daily really wanted me to do they just looked at my type of content and my stature and they were telling me what the creators of you know my type are charging per month and they were doing like 50 dollars a month and I said no 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 I really 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 want to build a big community and I know that there's a, a lot of young girls who listen and I think 20 dollars a month is very fair knowing you know how much work I'm putting into it but also keeping it at a low price so when you do go on it just make sure that you don't miss where it says add code because it is in the top right corner and I have had people miss it and then they did sign up for the $50 a month so you'll add for the girls caps lock I think and it'll you know bump that price all the way down to $19.99 a month it is not like a commitment so if you ever chose to cancel you can totally opt out and cancel and then like you will be done with that so it's very easy to come and go please don't ever go especially if you do want to get extra episodes of for the girls I actually just made a post today asking what are some things that you would like me to discuss on these new episodes so if you join now you know feel free to find that post and and type a comment you know letting me know what you want some exclusive for the girls episodes I am just gonna read the link out for you all in case you don't see it in the show notes but it's actually a very easy website so it's h-d-l-y dot me slash like forward slash victoria so the website is hey daily but they took out all like the uh, vowels so it's literally like h-d-l-y dot me instead of dot com so dot me 
forward slash Victoria. And then the whole confidence club thing will come up for you to subscribe. Additionally, coaching is going absolutely amazing. I'm now offering eight and 12 week programs. And I know I was talking a lot in my older episodes about like, yeah, you could book these one-time sessions with me and whatever. And I'm just, I'm no longer offering that. So hopefully people are like catching up to date with my episodes and they are aware that now I do only offer eight and 12 week programs. They are an investment but probably going to be the best investment that you ever make in your life because I am I'm very confident about it what I've been working on and it is absolutely nothing like what I was previously offering like those sessions were great and they were quick and people were getting very fast answers to their you know situations in a matter of 30 minutes or 60 minutes once or twice but there was really no commitment there was no long-term investment and long-term you know change in their whole entire life and that was my main goal so that's why now I'm like no 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 we are doing full-blown commitment you're either all the way committed or you're not and I'm just not offering these one-time sessions anymore so eight weeks or 12 weeks the link which I did make a new link there's a new link that is in my show notes it's also all over my social media the link is in there for you guys to inquire you'll fill out a brand new questionnaire I got rid of the old one that I had and it's just a lot more let's say a professional so needless to say I get ahead of myself and I get very excited and I put things out very quickly because as soon as something comes to my head you guys know if you've listened to my confident episode like my episode about how to you know get confident I'm all about messy action so I'm very open to messy action and just like doing something even before it's ready because I don't care if something comes to my head if something feels like a good idea to me if it feels right then I'm gonna do it and you know when you know that saying that just like never announce your next move like never share with people what you're working on until it's perfect until it's done like what if it fucks up and what if it fails and then now you told everybody these plans that you were making it then it didn't happen like I don't care like I'm not afraid to fail in front of people and I don't even consider any of these changes as failure it's literally just growth and I've had one friend that I definitely have to give a shout out to her name is Abby and my friend Abby has like really helped me get organized with my coaching because she's like what you're offering is great I mean tons of girls obviously want to work with you but like you could do this so much bigger and better if you just like wait a second and get very like organized with it with like a true game plan and a true mission and so that's what I did and that's why I've kind of like you know redone everything so I want to give all of you guys all of my listeners a really big thank you for how supportive you have been throughout this journey I mean for the past year now for the girls is one year as of this month August for the past year now I feel like so many things have changed and started and stopped and I get ideas and whatever and I just I love to share it with you all because for the girls is like my own therapy session pretty much letting it all out and so all of the thoughts that come to my mind are recorded edited and produced in a podcast episode and a lot of you are very very supportive and have inquired you know about these new coaching programs and even when we discuss and I give the price and whatever some people say listen I really can't make that investment right now but I do want you to know that like 
I see the value in it. I'm so proud of you. I think that this is something amazing. I think that you're doing everything right. Like even if I can't necessarily make the investment right now, like best believe that I will soon or eventually because I know what you have to offer is real and it's valuable. And so even that, like that validation is more than enough for me. Whether or not you become a client, it's all about the support and the fact that you guys are not like, oh my God, can this girl like get her shit together, you know? But it, it's it's all good in the hood. I just, I get very excited and I am passionate about the things that I do. So when I when I start something, if you ever hear me like making changes to it, it's simply because I just want to make everything I do 10 times better. And that is exactly what happened here. So for future episodes, I'll just have my regular like ads involved of explaining like, you know, the coaching program and the subscription. But this should be the end of me explaining in full what they are and what is going on. (laughs) This should be the end of me saying, okay, here is the deal. No, next time you hear me, it'll just be a straight up like, Do you want one-on-one coaching? Bitch, get your ass in the link in my bio and inquire because I'm about to change your life. So let's turn it the fuck up. I mean, that's probably not how I'll say it in my ad, but it is also how I would like to say it. So yeah, that is it. I'm sorry. I'm done. Let's get into the episode. Okay, everybody, please welcome Christina Smallwood, who I am so excited to have on today because she was one of the very first guests that I that came to my mind when I even created for the girls in the first place. And so long awaited Christina Smallwood, welcome, introduce yourself. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited for this. All right. So I'm a mom of three. I married a high school crush um, for, oh my gosh, how long have we been married? Like t- almost 12 years, which is crazy. Um, and I have a professional hairstylist here in SoCal, born and raised, pastor's kid. So like all the quintessential things that go along with that. Um, and yeah, I joined a network marketing company five and a half years ago that completely changed the trajectory of our life. Um, and above all else, I'm really just a very basic mom. I feel like when people find out that I used to do hair on like the housewives and that I work with celebrities, they feel like, I think they think I'm a lot cooler than I am, but I'm really just kind of like a silly, goofy, socially awkward, uh, you know, mom of three. And I, you know, I'm just basic. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you are far from basic. If there's one thing that she is, it is humble because I can tell you she is far from basic. And one of the most inspiring people I've ever even come across. Actually, Christina, you were like one of the first people I ever heard speaking at a business conference because it was in Vegas of 2019. And I had just started my business and I know you were already in it for a while at that point and you were speaking and sharing your story. And I feel like you only had just scratched the surface like at that point, like now you have so much more going on, which we'll get into. But like, I feel like at that point, I was already so inspired by you. And now you're mom of three, which is like, crazy probably for you to even say but yeah you you've been very inspiring to me since like as soon as I saw you for the first time that is so sweet (laughs) the weird thing about that conference exactly that was like such a turning point for me in my business 
Um, because I was always a hairstylist. I mean, I focused on that. That was my, you know, I was working for the show really heavily. I was like in my second season with the housewives. And, um, I remember it was the first time I turned down filming with the housewives to actually go do an event. And I mean, it completely changed my business being there and speaking and just like, like hearing that from you, that's so special. Like it was such a monumental moment for my career and the, you know, the wind in my sails changing. So that means so much. It's crazy because like when you're in the moment of making these decisions, you're like, oh my God, I don't want to regret it. And I'm sure you had that moment of like, do I film or do I not? And so, you know, that decision really helped. So I do want to ask because I'm sure that I have Bravo watchers and all of that. How did you get into being the um, housewife is it Tamara or Tamara? Tamara. Yeah. No, okay. Okay. I, I didn't Tam. Yeah. So before we get into all the mommy stuff, just tell us for the Bravo listeners, how you did that. Well, I mean, like anything else, you have to go for the opportunity and go for the no. And, um, I was really affiliated down here in Southern California. It's basically like a wedding hub and I did weddings every weekend and I got close with, a photographer. Um, she's amazing. She, she actually shot Tamara's wedding and she was getting ready to do her boudoir pictures for the wedding. And she reached out to me and she was like, Hey, um, I'm telling her that hair and makeup comes with the package. And I'd love to present you with that opportunity. It will have zero pay. And like in this industry, I mean, there are people willing to like pay to do it. You know what I mean? So it's like, you just kind of have to take what you can get. And I, had said for a long time, like, all I want is one housewife. Like, I know that will change my career. And it's not that I wasn't, I had a full clientele. For me, it was like for the fun experience and like, see what door this will open up. Um, And so I didn't actually do it, but that was the first time that Tamara, I think was like introduced to my name. And then her holiday photos came up, same photographer, same thing. And I went and I um, was super nervous to meet her and like do style her hair is like super nerve wracking. Um, but I'm like, we're going to do iconic beachy waves. It became like her jam. And um, I actually walked in and her makeup artist was like, I recognize you. And I'm like, you do. And she's like, yeah, you, I donated. To, oh my gosh, you were on the news. I donated to your daughter's cause. And I know we'll get into all that, but it was just kind of this full circle moment. And from that moment on the hairstyle, the makeup artist welcomed me in Tamara welcomed me in. And I followed up probably four times with Tamara saying, I would love to, I like fought in there. And it's like, you kind of have to be there. And then one day they go, okay. And so I just kept offering my hair services for the show. And, um, yeah, she was like, all right, you're in. And you know, the rest was history with that. I, I took it very serious. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people, they, they assume the no, they don't go for the no, they just assume the no. So they don't even try. And you're like, no, I'm going for it. Like I'm going to get in there. Um, So that's awesome. Okay. So I know all that stuff was fun stuff, but guys, we have a like fully packed out heavy conversation and episode for you guys. So Christina, I want to take it all the way to the top. How long ago did you start trying to conceive? And when along that line, did you discover that you had infertility issues? So right when I met my husband, I I was like, 
you're going to be my husband. <laughs> like, I actually feel like I remember this. I act when you just said high school crush, I feel like I remember you may have done like a live or something talking about how like you had a crush on him, didn't even think he knew you existed. And then yes. we oh way in there. Yeah, he, he didn't. And I, you know, I, I bloomed later in life, but I'm like, you're going to marry me. I've already have hundreds of papers all over with the say Christina Smallwood. And that makes me sound like a psycho, but I would, I'm, I'm, when I know what I want, I go for it. I don't care. Um, and so I just, I was really reluctant to get all my hopes up, but I would joke with him, like, you're going to be my husband. So almost immediately, I think we celebrated our one year wedding anniversary. Um, I was 27 and I was like old news in my Italian family. So my grandma was like, honey, like you're, you're late. Like all my cousins and everybody got married at like 24, 25. So I'm already like old news in my family. I'm like, I want to have babies. Like, let's go. So I was never on birth control and we started kind of just not being careful, I guess. And I kind of thought like, oh, it's going to happen on the first or second shot, you know, like this, you, you get some told something your whole life. And, um, it, it was around the time of like maybe 10 months later that I started taking it more serious. And I started holding the babies of my friends who we kind of started trying, not trying together. And a lot of them got pregnant, like first month, you know, like honeymoon babies kind of a thing. So it was kind of eye-opening and starting to open my eyes in that moment of, okay, wait, now it's been like almost a year and nothing's happening. So that was kind of like the turning point was when my dad, he was in a horrible accident and, um, in the hospital and after he didn't make it out of it. And after his passing, I just turned to Josh and I was like, I need joy now. I need a baby now. And I went and got infertility testing. Wow. And you mentioned to me that you had a false positive. When was that in your Dear God, that was so awful. Okay, so pink dyes, actually, I ended up finding a website called pink dyes are the devil. Okay, and it's because they are the most known for false positives. And um, I think I, I, I mean, what is I pink dye? What is pink so dye? It's just like pink lines, pink oh, lines okay. on the test. So when you take a pregnancy test, some of them are like digital and they say pregnant or not pregnant, which are, that's the way to go. Okay. Cause then there's no, like, is there a line there? You know, like yeah. I, the hours I spent like showing people, do you see a line? Like that's how <laughs> desperate I wanted to be pregnant that I was just like, I think seeing these like holographic lines. Well, I was at my girlfriend's house. We were doing wedding trials, hair and makeup. We had a, like a row of, um, you know, bride to bees. We were doing their hair and makeup trials. And um, I was just like, I'm going to take pregnancy tests. I would buy them by like, I, I couldn't afford this by the way, but I was buying so many, they're so expensive. I was buying so many pregnancy tests and taking them just all day long, just obsessive. Okay. And, um, I got one and I like cursed really loud. I was like, holy shit, you know, what the fuck? Like, this is insane. And I go running down the stairs and I'm like, you see it, right? Like you see, it was the clear, you know, the clearest one I had ever seen. And they were like, it's there. And I'm like, it's there. That means it, that means I'm pregnant. You know, like, oh my God, I called pretty much had him on speed dial, called the, you know, uh, doctor's office for the blood test. 
Um, and you know, two days later when I ended up going, my HCG levels were zero. Um, and I didn't, I think I kind of knew they say when you're pregnant, like, you know, and I didn't feel like I knew I was, I feel like I was like, you know what, I'm not going to take another one. Cause it's probably going to tell me I'm negative. And, um, I'm just going to wait for the blood test. Cause I don't want to stress myself out. I was like, so stressed and yeah, it sucked. I mean, I, it sucked within those two days. I took like announcement photos. I planned how I was going to tell Josh, like I watched every video known to man on like how, you know, women tell their husband that they're pregnant. I was so excited for like that exciting moment. Wow. That's, that's disappointing. And when did you end up getting a diagnosis with what you had and what was that? Like what, what exactly, if you could explain what your infertility issues are? Okay. So my dad passes away. We, you know, have the service maybe a week later, I tell Josh, like I'm doing this full steam ahead. Um, go make the appointment probably a week after that. So, I mean, like literally, you know, very, I'm, I'm a doer. (laughs) I was like, not waiting. And, um, the first round of results, cause they, you know, in, in infertility testing, they want to test you and they want to test, you know, the guy. And so, um, he was not like into it. He was not into getting tested. He's like, let's let it happen organically. And I'm like, you know, I'm the forcer, like forcing the puzzle piece to fit that clearly doesn't. And so I went and, um, by myself, I didn't necessarily have his support to even be doing it. And, um, first round of results showed that I have what's called diminished ovarian reserve. There's not a lot of awareness about it. Um, it just means that I have not a lot of eggs in my reserve and that, um, the eggs I do have are like aged almost Mm -hmm. like they're, they're, you know, geriatric eggs. So I have not a lot and they're old. So that was kind of it. And they told me it's going to be very unlikely that you get pregnant naturally. And if you do, it's very likely that you will miscarry. So that was really, really hard news to hear. And it brought our infertility testing to a screeching halt because my husband was like, well, there goes that. And wasn't even willing to look into, you know, in vitro and all the expensive things that, you know, were the next options for us. So that whole thing cancels out getting IVF and anything else. Like there's no way to have that and also try to do a different way. Well, you're just, I mean, it's a really low success rate, uh, that you're looking at. And when you're going to spend, you know, 17 to $20,000, you don't have, you really look at like, okay, what are our real percentages here? And like, is this going to be worth it? Or are we just going to dump? Tw- I mean, we literally were living paycheck to paycheck. I was behind on my car payment. I was stressed out, you know, just, I just wanted Trader Joe's, you know, like, and I just, we were very, very strapped. And to think about now a gamble of that size that like we would need a loan for, you know, and barely be able to make the payment. That is what is stressful about it. So I, I do know there are women that successfully have diminished ovarian reserve and do, you know, IVF. Um, but there's so many things like when you're told you're infertile that you can do, there's different medications that you can start and different things that you can do. Um, but they wanted me to jump from zero to a hundred. I mean, they wanted me to say, okay, we're skipping all this and we're going to go 
boom, all the way to the most extreme thing, the most expensive thing. And that's going to be our best bet. And it was just like, no. and there was still no guarantee either way. Exactly. No guarantee. So at what point did you guys make the decision of adoption or was that always on like the back burner? Was it always like, okay, if there's no way, then we'll fall to adoption or, or did it just come up after all that? Like, this is what we have to do. So I think the extent of like our desire to adopt would, would be like, if we were talking to someone and maybe they adopted or were adopted, we're like, Oh, we we could adopt one day, which I had a nickel. Every time someone told me that and I'm like, okay, but actually wanting to adopt is different. And I remember getting the call. Um, I was working behind the chair. I had a stacked day. The office called me to give me my results. And, um, and she like, I I can't remember the extent. I think the trauma like has blocked out a lot, but she had said, you know, we have like different stages of it. And you're like at the, one of the more extreme stages. And I'm like, awesome. Okay. So I remember like falling to the ground and just like billowing out like huge cries. Like, I don't know, like just like deep grief. And it's so sad because I wanted so badly to, you know, make babies. Like I I just thought like, that's what we're put here for is to do that as women. And so I just remember like dropping in grief. Like I hate hearing no, I hate hearing told I can't do something something. So it like drummed up a lot of emotions in me. And then I just thought, how am I going to tell my husband? So I ended up, I worked for the next few clients and, um, cried through almost all of them. And they consoled me. I had the best clients on the planet. Um, and then I remember cutting my day early. My last client, I was like by eight o'clock, I'm like, I just gotta go, go home. I cannot be the last one out of here tonight. And, um, told him in, in the face and his reaction just, I knew, I knew I married the right one, but when he responded to me, I knew like I was with the guy I was meant to be with because he said, okay, Christina, like, what am I a medieval King, you know, make a baby or leave. Like, cause I was like, do you still want to be with me? You know, like that's where your head goes. Like this guy is like, now I've tricked him, you know, and like, I can't do what I'm designed to do. And, um, and so I was like, oh my gosh. And I remember thinking, okay, I can't change this. So I'm going to give myself 24 hours to have the biggest pity party. I can drink all the wine, like just literally mourned with him. Um, and then the next morning we both just woke up and we, neither of us can remember who brought it up first. Like we both are that much on the same page about it that I'm like, I think I said it first. He's like, no, I think I said it first, you know? So um, adoption was it like literally like not even 24 hours later, we were like, we're going to adopt. And I think in our minds, it was like, that's more likely to result in success of us gaining, you know, growing our family verse in vitro. It wasn't like, I didn't, I mean, I would have done it. Like if my husband was like, we could spend 20 grand, like no big deal. I would have totally done it. Um, but just like weighing out the factors, it just was like, really like, the clear decision that we were going to be adopting. Yeah. Wow. I think that that's really special that you guys were both just like, so on the same page, because I know that that's, I think maybe someone would think deciding to go with adoption is just giving up on the idea of even trying. And it might be a negative feeling for someone. Like, I don't want to 
even say adoption yet because that means I'm totally canceling out this. But I think you guys just both came to the conclusion like you're going to only make yourself more unhealthy by putting that sort of stress on yourself. So it was almost just like there was no other there really was no option at that point. Like it wasn't even um, so that's that's amazing. And so now let's talk about Finley. I'm looking at a number nine balloon over your shoulder because I know Finley just turned nine years old. So she's your oldest daughter and she was born with a traumatic brain injury, which you did not know that she was going to be special needs throughout this entire process. And you adopted her at birth. So you like this all happened basically upon her being born. So this was your first experience with adoption, first experience becoming a mother and first experience discovering this sort of news that your your child has a, a traumatic brain injury. So just paint the picture for us of what this experience was like and you know and that injury as well. Okay. So once Josh and I decided we're adopting when we started like going through the process, we were like looking at this book and it, and it basically has what you're willing to adopt and what you are not willing to adopt. And they told me the more specific you get, the harder and longer it's going to take. Cause you you hear people waiting years. Okay. And they might be waiting for a blonde hair, blue eyed five-year-old. Like they might be waiting for like something so specific. And I was like, you know what? And I, I wouldn't say I was like a super strong Christian at the time, but I had a faith and I knew, okay, if this is on my heart to do this, who am I to like make these customizations? Like God will provide for us, you know? Um, and I got closer in my walk with him when my dad was in the hospital who coincidentally died of a traumatic brain injury. Okay. So here we are six months later in the hospital again, the ICU. Um, we had marked the you know paperwork no, we have no requests, like boy, girl, any ethnicity, any, you know, disability, any, like anything. So our hearts were wide open. We met the young couple, the expectant couple, which was different. Normally you just meet usually an expectant mom. We met an expectant couple. They were young. They seemed in love. They were adorable. Um, and they chose us as the parents. And a month later, we're in the NICU. And it was, I mean, i not, yeah, not even six months after being in the hospital with my dad, here we are in the hospital with Finley. And I got greeted by the neuro team, uh, maybe two, three days into it. And they told us that the baby, um, she was nine weeks early, had suffered a traumatic brain injury, grade three intraventricle hemorrhages, which just means that the, the ventricles in the brain are like the last to develop. Um, so if they're born so prematurely that it's, it's possible that the blood can just spill out into the brain. And anytime you have, you know, like, let's say there's a blood clot in your brain and there's blood, there's blood pooling, it's taking up space where your brain actually needs to be connecting dots. And so that can cause all kinds of different injuries. So they told us, you know, she might not ever walk or talk, or she might be fine. And we actually hadn't yet signed any adoption paperwork because in the state of California, and I think a lot of other states follow suit, um, the, the expectant mom cannot sign over the rights to the child until she's out of the hospital. So because it was emergency C-section, she was in the hospital for a few days. 
Um, so it was kind of like emotionally, like you're suspended a little bit. Like I can get attached to this baby and she can change her mind. I mean, it, there's a huge gamble there. And like some of our family members didn't even want to come to the hospital because they were like, well, what if she's not going to be yours? And it's just, it's, there's so many elements of things. And you're like, why are you putting that on us? Like you come here, like we're, we're full steam ahead. This is our baby until otherwise, you know, something changes. And our um, birth mom, she never really wavered birth dad and his whole family came to the hospital almost every single day. They were like, this is your baby. I mean, they were reassuring us. Um, but it's just, there were so many dynamics. So we were, I mean, it never, people ask me all the time, like, did it cross your mind to, to back out? Like, you know, especially after hearing that, I'm like, it just, I, I kid you not, it legitimately never crossed my mind. I'm like, this is my baby. The moment I laid my eyes on her, it was game over. I'm like, this is like who I, I felt like it was a divine moment of God being like, this is your baby. And Josh never said anything to me like that he was thinking that. And so, I mean, yeah, we were celebrating like because she was here. We were going to get through it. And I just remember this pivotal moment with the neurologist. And I said, is she going to die? Because I had, I had no idea. It's my first experience with a baby in a hospital. And I, my only other ICU experience watched, was watching my dad die. So he, they were like, no, like, no, 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 no. She's going to be fine. She just, you know, might not ever walk or talk. She might have cerebral palsy. She might, they like planted these seeds from the get go. So um, I mean, I definitely hoped for the best that she would, you know, be un, like one of those miracle stories. Um, and she is in other ways. It just looks different than maybe I had anticipated. Um, but yeah, so that's basically, I mean, it's, it was really, really, really traumatic, but we did not know what the heck was going to happen. It was just a wait and see game for a long time. And everything went completely smoothly with the adoption itself and the sign. Like there was, even on their end, there was never a moment of like, okay, we changed our minds. They were like, totally. No. And I think, I think her being connected to all, I think the baby being connected to all these wires and like knowing that it was going to be like a very d difficult road ahead. I think it even more solidified um, for our birth mom that like she was making the right decision because she was young. She, you know, was living with her parents who were older her on, on a fixed income that it just, it wasn't going to be something that they were going to be able to do. And her mom was the one, the reason that she ended up going to the attorney's office for the adoption anyway. So she didn't have that family support to change her mind, even if she wanted to. Um, and that's something that she said to me um, after she signed the papers, like, even if I wanted to, I couldn't. And that kind of breaks your heart, you know? Yeah, it, it almost, it almost happened it, well it definitely happened the way that it was meant to happen but it's almost as if it happened the way it was meant to happen to reassure her and for god to send her a message of like trust me this is christine like christina is built for this christina is made for this like you you picked the right person you made the right choice so i mean i have full body chills right now thinking about it because i can't even imagine but it's it's it might sound one way to one person to say Oh, it was meant for be meant to be for your child to have this injury. 
but I mean it in the most divine possible way. When was she actually diagnosed officially with cerebral palsy? Because that is what she has, but you did not know officially at that time. So how long did that take? Um, it took about 15 months. Now, when your child is born this prematurely under a birth weight, you, there are tons of government programs in place, which are amazing. California is one of the best had no idea, you know, I got thrown into this world. Um, and so she started getting early intervention therapies. I mean, like two weeks after we took her home from the hospital, she was like new, new, new. And, um, so they're working with you and then they're making suggestions of, you know, are you seeing a neurosurgeon? Are you seeing a neurologist? Are you seeing an ophthalmologist? Are you seeing a urologist? Like, uh, like I'm just like trying to survive every day with my baby. So it was kind of like the writing was on the wall and we had these like transitional things. And then she had an eye surgery at six months old. And then after that, we could tell that her muscles were so tight. So they saw, they, you know, referred us to a pain management specialist that put Botox in her legs. And I had to literally like hold her down to do that. And like, it, I, I know where all of her medical anxieties came from. It came from this entire first year of just literally me not knowing I was anxious. She was always at, I mean, we were at two or three doctor's appointments a week. I mean, it was, it was a lot. So, I mean, she, she had special needs in the sense that, you know, our life looked a lot different than my friends with babies, you know? And, um, but at 15 months, um, they told me that it would be best for her to have a diagnosis and, um, that we could, you know, put her under anesthesia and do an MRI and that will like definitively determine it. And so I was like weighing the options. I didn't want to keep putting her under anesthesia. She was already had, you know, all these meds pumped in her body when she was a baby um, in the hospital. And then, you know, the eye surgery was one and she didn't do well with the anesthesia and I didn't do well with it. There's so many risks involved. We had a friend lose their baby after a routine surgery because of the anesthesia. So it was just like, I'm like, no, 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 no anesthesia. There's got to be another way. Took her to get hip x-rays, which is just part of the routine thing for kids with spastic diplegia. And he's like, this kid has spastic CP. It's, it's classic. And I'm like, can you diagnose her? And so um, our orthopedic specialist who I love him so much. Um, he was the one that formally diagnosed her with spastic diplegia, cerebral palsy, and she was 15 months old. And so it actually felt like such a sigh of relief to actually put a name to it because you better believe I looked up every single hashtag and Googled like a maniac. And like, it was really um, only very sad stories that I found on the internet actually. Um, of that diagnosis. So um, it just, you know, again, we're in a new chapter now, you know? Wow. That poor kid, she went through so much since day one. So yes, going back to what you said before, she, it is a miracle because she survived through all of that. And I mean, I follow you on Instagram, obviously for over four years now. So I've, I've seen her like really grow up a lot in the past four and a half years. I guess she was around four or five, you know, when I first saw her now for her to be celebrating her ninth birthday. I mean, she's like more 
you know, like she has a strength. I feel like you have a video, like I know you're holding hands, but she's like dancing and she doesn't have like her, what not crutch. What do you call um, the walker? The walker. She doesn't yeah. have a walker. She's not in a wheelchair. Like the fact that she's standing on two feet just by holding your hand, like it's, it is a miracle. Even if like you said, it looks different to other people. So now speaking of the fact that she does have a little bit of this independence, Let's talk about this big surgery that she had because you go from literally being infertile and not even being able to have kids. So now all of a sudden, not only do you have a kid, but you are like, you, you're not just a mom. You're like a super mom. Like you're like a mom beyond, you know, like you took on so much more than yes, the average mom. So now you're, you're on this mission to help your child and not to heal, but to do as much as you can. So then you were recommended to what I saw is SDR surgery. I don't know what it stands for, but you discovered this when, how old was she when she went through that surgery? And then how did that help her? Okay. So bear in mind, I'm like anti anesthesia, right? Like I will avoid it at all costs. And, um, I started, uh, in my discoveries of like these really sad results of, um, spastic diaplegia cerebral palsy, I decided I was going to start advocating for it and like showing happy pictures of us and mommy and me outfits and look at what we can do. And I, I hated that people felt sorry for us. I could see it written on people's faces, you know? And so I was like, you know, it'd be my goal. And I told my husband, I'm like, my goal is to make people wish that they had a kid with CP. <laughs> like, talk about like <laughs> so extreme, you know, like I, I wanted to show up for CP. You went like and- zero to 100. You're like, not only will they be happy for me, they will be jealous of me. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it's like, I mean, it's ridiculous with my way of thinking, but that's like my, um, my uh, survival mode. Okay. And I, I, I like, I'm very extreme person if you're gathering this. Okay. So, um, I started advocating for it and surely started getting people telling me and sending me, Oh, you should do this. You should do stem cells. You should do this. Like, and like all the things and like the surgery kept coming in my inbox and I'm like, no, like it is a, okay. So the SDR is selective dorsal rhizotomy. Okay. When I asked our trusted orthopedic surgeon about it, he's like, oh, that's barbaric. They don't even do that anymore. You know, like he like poo-pooed it. And he's like, you don't want to do that to her. They, they, they saw open the spine. They take out all the wires and then they test each wire. And whichever one causes the muscles to be tight because a brain injury that causes this is her brain is sending signals to her legs constantly to be tight. And so... I mean, her legs would be like peg legs. She couldn't even bend her knees like by thought or wiggle her toes by thought. So her, it was just a constant signal, right? To be super tight and firm and it's bad for the muscles. It's bad for every part of your body. You need to be able to rest, you know? So he said, they, they pull out the wires, they test each one. And then whatever wires send the signals for the, you know, muscles to be spastic, they cut them, sever, they sever them. You don't need them. They, 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 essentially, you don't need these wires. Then they put it back in and sew you up. And it could be like five-hour surgery, four-hour surgery. Um, and he's like, it's barbaric. I mean, I remember specifically that word being used. And so I was like, oh, no way. Well, 
you know, there's, I learned that doctors tell you something. Another doctor told us the only thing that he could do for us is prescribe us Valium. I mean, like literally that's, that was it. That was it. And there's like so many ways that you can, um, help fight cerebral palsy. And, um, you know, the doctors don't really want to tell you that, but there are actual ways. So I got into this group for the SDR and, um, they do two surgeries a week. And there is a world renowned surgeon out of St. Louis. His name is Dr. Park. And I mean, he's been doing it for decades and other people come fly in other, you know, uh, neurosurgeons and neurologists fly in from all over the world to learn from him. He's the one that perfected it. And, um, his success rate is insane. He can predict what kids are going to do. I mean, he's like the guy and I'm like, well, this is kind of eye-opening. Why wouldn't a, a very trusted doctor from chalk not be aware that this is happening? And it's just, it's the way the world works. And so um, it opened my eyes to it um, after a friend of ours who had a kid the same age, she did it, had great results. And I was like, okay, I think I might want to do this. And that was again, a new chapter opening because it's like a $40,000 surgery um, our insurance wouldn't cover it. It was at, way out of our network. I mean, we had a um, HMO at that point. So only certain doctors in a certain network we could go to. So there's no way we can go to St. Louis and have it covered. And it wasn't deemed a necessity, um, which is insane. Um, <laughs> I know, I know. And it, it's, it's wild. I mean, the, the, the amount of things that Finley needed that were not deemed a necessity by the insurance mind-blowing and then it really I mean there's a reason that you know special needs parents are more stressed out than the average because you're constantly getting told no and that you know and so then I just remember being like I wish I could just pay for this out of pocket like I wish I just you know didn't need to go through this and um we ended up fundraising for the surgery um which is a whole other story but she went and got it and it and it was a success and that was your full circle moment then with one of those people that you mentioned in work, right? And the hairstylist, you said someone noticed you because they donated. So that's right there. It ties us back to the beginning of when you were saying somebody yes. recognized you. Okay. And now, sorry, how, when did she end up getting it? Oh, how sorry. Was- yeah. She was three years old Okay, and they like to do the surgery between two and three which just seems so crazy. Those tiny, tiny little wires and those tiny, tiny little bones, but that's like the ideal time, um, to do that surgery. And so it's kind of like time was of the essence. She was turned three in July and here it is October. We're getting the appointment for, um, you know, and there's a whole process they have, they, you know, you have to go out there and he has to determine that you're, um, you know, a candidate and all this kind of stuff. And, um, it felt very much like getting the call that we, you know, got matched with an adopt adoptive couple or, you know, the uh, expectant couple to adopt, um, to finding out that she was in fact a candidate for this surgery. I mean, it was like that, like, ah, like such a celebration. Wow. And now that the result of that is, has helped her have like a little bit more independence and, you know, right. Life-changing million percent. I mean, she can get on and off the toilet by herself. She would probably be in diapers if, if it weren't for that surgery. I mean, and that's just like one thing, one thing. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's it is interesting because obviously, you know, she did get it so young. So I wouldn't I didn't even know, you know, what she was like at that time. So it's interesting what I see of her. I'm like, wow, she's so strong. But I would have never thought like this is literally because of a surgery. She would be like a total like legs never bending if if it weren't for that. So that's that's amazing. Um, now your of course she is your firstborn so I would say you do a very special relationship with her but you do also have an open adoption which is very interesting because this means that she does still have a relationship with her biological mother um and I've you know I've seen actually photos there's one caption I wanted to say so I was on um your Fifi and Mo Finley's Instagram page and I loved this caption. It was a photo of the three of you, you, Finley, and her um, biological mother. The caption said, um, a child born to another woman calls me mom. The depth of the tragedy and the magnitude of the privilege are not lost to me. And I like, I loved that. What does that mean to you? And how is this open adoption for you? Well, now I'm crying. So... <laughs> It's sorry. It it did make me tear up no. when I was reading it. So I think, okay. And I didn't go into this thinking I was going to be in an open adoption either. It was just, um, all these moments that we had in the hospital, it really, really required trust on both of our parts to continue it because even in the NICU, you get two wristbands. And so I let her, I, or she let me have one at first because it's up to her. She's the birth mom, you know, like she bore that baby. She gets to pick where the wristbands go. So she gave one to me and I gave one. Uh, and then after she signed the papers, I let her keep hers. Um, and so that was like the initial trust building between us um, was that, okay, I'm going to say something and I'm going to keep my word. And she was so grateful for us um, and very openly communicative um, that it just really, really, our relationship, um, was good. Um, of course we had awkward moments and we had, you know, like, yeah, super awkward moments, but I kind of was like, how could I just like cut this person out and like pretend they don't exist? You know, like that, that doesn't make sense. And so I just really loved her for, for choosing me. Um, and, and then being so grateful that she chose me, it just kind of made it seem like how I just, I couldn't fathom not having this person in my life. They made me a mom, you know, it's like this, I don't know. And so, um, I remember when we took Finley home from the hospital, she was there for five weeks and, um, I was like, you know what? I'm like, let's plan a day for you to come see her. And that's kind of how it started was just to kind of see through that morning and grief period. I mean, she was coming to the hospital every day. She would ride her bike after a C-section or get dropped off at the hospital every single day. And um, a lot of people would say, well, why is she doing that? It's not her baby anymore. You know, like there's so many people that just want that matter of fact, black and white line. And it was so gray that I, I saw so much beauty in it. And so I, I mean, I watched her literally break her own heart. So when I say it's a tragedy, like I'm a girl's girl, like I, oh, I always, you know, I, I had only did women hair. Like I, I love 
love. And so you could see it in her eyes, the way she looked at the baby, like this is, this is detrimental to her, you know? Um, but she chose me. So it's such a bitter sweet. And like, I didn't know anyone that was going through it. So I just did what I knew best. And that was to literally love her as much as I love the baby, as much as, you know, almost I love my husband. Like she was family to me. Wow. I mean, that I read that quote in that caption like three times to really let it make sense for me because I was like, okay, this is very deep. This is not words. This is like a lot. And, and I realized like, you know, we see adoption mainly only from the adopted mother's perspective more than the birth mother's perspective. So for them, yeah, it's, it has to be traumatic and a tragedy. I mean, maybe not for everybody, but I, I've never even saw it from that perspective. It's merely just a celebration of, like you said, that privilege and that like happiness on the new, you know, side. And I just, I, I, I had to share that because you are such a positive person. I mean, I know you probably are like, trust me, I've gone through my shit. <laughs> so yeah. I know maybe you're not like, okay, yeah, sure. I'm Mrs. Positive, but you are in a way that's like, you just, you love, that's it. You love period. And um, that's what felt right. And so now to this day, I mean, it's that's still the case, right? Like that's like a forever thing that you have an open adoption. Yeah, we we were seeing her maybe four or five times a year. Um, and at some point, you know, we exchange home uh, or I would bring the baby to her house a lot and like see her parents and her brothers and like, you know, this is uncle, this is grandma, you know, and like um, same with the birth dad, same thing with his family. Um, and we would see each other multiple times a year as time has progressed on, you know, that's lessened. Um, but I still, I was just texting with her the other day. I mean, we are still very close. Um, I don't, I wouldn't say it's quite like I, like she's a little sister to me or a daughter to me in a way, but like, she's someone I, I, I literally love and cherish so much and have so much gratitude in my whole heart for her. Um, and we talk about her often in our house. Um, you know, one of our babysitters is pregnant. And so that, you know, she's like, oh, like baby's in your belly, but I was in my birth mom's belly. Like she knows, she knows these things. It's like just been open from the get go. Okay. Now let's fast forward. And now you've adopted twins. <laughs> this situation, this adoption from what I know was different than Finley because my understanding, this was not at birth. When did you decide to adopt again? Were you just like, I'm ready for more kids or, and did you want twins? Like, what was this situation? So I knew I wanted another baby, maybe like a couple years, um, after the SDR surgery. So when Finley was around five, I was like, okay, it's time. Like we've got a good grip on our life, <laughs> um, as much as we can. Um, and I, you know, we're not getting any younger and like, let's, let's do it again. Like let's adopt again. Um, the cool thing about how adoption used to be was it was actually tax deferred. So whatever we had spent in it, we got back, um, or out of our taxes, so that was super cool. That is no longer a thing. So 
Um, my husband was like, well, if we adopt again, like I want to do foster and it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was for the financial. That was definitely, I think a, a, a factor in our minds. Like it's not going to be as expensive, but my husband was very, 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 I mean, and he rarely like puts his foot down about something, but he was like, there are children already born and already in the system that need a home. That's what we're going to do. And I just was like. I want a baby. I was very adamant and open about that. I want a baby. So we thought we could maybe find like a happy medium. So we went to the foster adoption. You have to get, you know, home study certified. It doesn't matter if we already have adopted. You just, every single process, you need your own home study for it. So, um, and that's just super invasive. It's unbelievable the amount of information you have to give, but I get it. You know, obviously they don't want just anyone fostering. So went through all the paperwork, got to the class and the lady's like, okay, so, you know, there it's all about foster. I knew all about private adoption of a newborn, completely different world. And now here we are. And she's like, okay, so whatever your schedule is, you need to be go to part-time to, you know, for the best, you know, cause you've got to be available. They call you at 2 PM, 5 PM, 3 PM midnight. You got to go get the baby. Like they will call you. And it's crazy because a couple of years later we were back in the office, but she remembered the fear and anxiety on my face because I was working three jobs. I had an on-call position with the housewives. So there's no way I could fathom just like canceling on a wedding, you know, like, Oh, sorry, a baby came. I can't do your wedding today. Or, Oh, sorry, Tamara. I can't do your, you know, your event in an hour. I'm going to go pick up a kid. Like there was no world that like the flexibility of foster adoption was plausible with our life. It just, so, um, we stopped going to meetings at that point and, um, just kind of were like, well, you know, let's pray about this and just kind of put it on the back burner for a while. And um, I started getting that itch again, like, okay, I'm just going to keep putting it out there. Like I, so, and we had a crib, we made a nursery. I mean, I'm like psycho. Like I am definitely a psycho. I know that. Um, all my friends thought I was crazy. I had a baby shower for myself. There was no baby. <laughs> like God bless my friends for like going along with this, you know, like God bless them. And I put it on Instagram one day and said, praying for our future son. And I got a DM that rolled in from a fam, like a, a, a friend I went to high school with. And she's like, would you be open to adopting twins? And our circumstances had changed because of my network marketing business. And now I had more time and flexibility um, to do foster. And that's what planted the seed in my head. Like maybe, maybe. And I laughed at first, obviously twins. Ha ha ha. <laughs> like that's crazy, but I'm crazy. And I brought it up to my husband and he did not hate the idea. So we started the process again and there we what, were. Let, let, let's back up for one second. This person, <laughs> who was this person in relation to the twins? She is their biological aunt. Okay. So she knew that they were what in foster care? Yes. Yes. She lived, um, she lived out of state and she knew that they were in foster care. Okay. And so she was like, well, if you're going through this process, like they were with, yeah, they were with another foster mom at the time. Um, and she, 
he was in the process of trying to, because it's, it's, there's so much red tape in the foster system. It is so jacked up how it, how it goes. It, you can't just call someone and locate a child based on a name, you know, like there's so much, it's so hard. Like yeah. even their uh, paternal biological grandparents told me that they, you know, tried to track down the babies after they were, you know, taken out of the hospital and she like could never get a clear answer. It's almost like they just kind of disappeared out of the system. That's so, um, yeah, she's like, I, I'm talking with the social worker and I, um, they like just called me about the twins. So someone found her as like a next thing kin for them. So did you end up fostering them first and then adopting them or you went straight into the adoption? So it's, so this is kind of how adoption works. Once, once a child is born and there was no adoption plan for them. So once the state intervenes and they go into the foster system, um, they, you, to adopt them, you have to foster them first because they are technically owned by the state. So you can't just go and it's not like necessarily like an orphanage where it's like, oh, I'm going to adopt you. It's, there is the step of fostering to adopt. Um, And so um, there are people that just foster and they just want to be that loving home as the child goes in and out of their biological home. Um, And then, you know, obviously the people that foster with the intent to adopt. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, triggers around around that whole thing too. Wow. So it's safe to say you got a full house now. Are you done? Do you want more kids? Are you? Oh, or I mean, if it if it's up to me, and it's not because I really I just know God is in complete control of our life. Okay, so I know this, and I also know that I'm crazy. So like one day I could just be like. I want a baby. <laughs> I, I, I Right now, I don't see that in the cars. I have not had that feeling. I do feel like our family is complete, but we do have two sets of biological families out there. And if ever there was a situation where the twins or Finley had a biological sibling that needed to be adopted, we would absolutely take in a sibling. Mm. So, um, yes and no, you know? (laughs) Oh, so that, that is, yeah, that's so true. And so interesting. You know, you mentioned Finley's mom is super young. I'm not sure the case for the twins, but you know, Finley's mom is even super young. There could be another, you know, that's, that's very interesting. I wouldn't even have thought of that perspective, but yeah, I feel in that case, knowing you, you're like, of course, the more the merrier. Um, Um, that should be another set of twins. Watch. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, wow. And so how old are the twins now? They just turned four in March. And how old were they when you officially adopted them? They were about 16 months old. Um, when, when they came to live with us and then it was a year, about a year and a half before we officially adopted them. I remember this process. I remember you having them on social media, but you couldn't share them. And, you know, I, I do remember that process. And that was like a, a very big deal. You know, at that time you had like the emojis covering them. Uh, and it was so awful covering their faces. And then 
I like doing Insta stories and then people would message me. Oh, I saw, I saw her face in the reflection of the mirror behind you and you better delete that. And, and the biological family would have never came for me for doing that. And that's usually it's for the safety of the children. Um, I was already in an open foster adoption, which is like extremely rare. Um, so, I mean, you know, I was sending them pictures of the kids. So it's not like I was hiding their identity for their safety, but the rules are the rules. And, you know, there's a lot of keyboard warriors that want to be help you keep the rules, you know, once you're open about this kind of stuff. So um, I had I had to. <laughs> what what would you say to someone or, you know, what how do you feel about people who I know may invalidate like you as the mom or they say something like, uh, I give her so much credit. Like I've seen, you know, I was looking through your Instagram and I've just seen captions and comments. I did my research and just the, the way that people, you know, are, and I know you've even said like that a lot of people either try too hard to validate that you're the mom and you're like that I am like, I am their mom. How, what do you say to those people or how, what would you say to them to at least help them to better un- understand? So I I think there's a lot of different types of adoptive moms, but I will say for me, I, I kind of hate when people act like it's like this noble thing that we did. While I am aware it's not, it's not for everyone. It is like legitimately very hard. It is, but so is childbirth. You know what I mean? So it's like, there's so much different ways out there, but for this specific question, um, you know, I, I've always just didn't want a title. I just wanted to be Finley's mom, not Finley's adoptive mom. Um, and I remember being so emotionally charged anytime someone would say like, oh, that's so awesome that you guys adopted. And I'd be like, no, it's not. We wanted a baby. This is how we got the baby. Like almost like I wanted people to like know how selfish I was for this baby. You know, like I didn't do anything noble. I wasn't trying to be seen as noble. I just wanted to be taking care of a baby. Um, but I, I, you know, at this point now, I'm like, you could say that you could call, you know, Finley's biological mom, her mom. And I wouldn't care. Like I just, it, for me, the relationships are so solid and I know where I am and where I stand with my family that I'm not like threatened by words. And I think that I used to be because um, I just, I was, you know, emotionally young in adoption and now I really could care less if they're, and I tell my kids all the time, you look so much like your, you know, biological mom. I usually say that, um, but you remind me so much of her, like I, Finley, the way she talks, it's basically, she's, you know, the spinning image of her, you know, biological mom and same with the twins, their biological family. So we're constantly telling them that, but I mean, it's hard to give someone advice. I think just, um, I don't know, because I feel like I even say that sometimes and we have friends that have adopted like seven kids and I'm like, bless their heart, you know, like it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, in the sense that there are people out there that cannot adopt. And I feel so bad for, I I talk to women all the time who are like, my husband is just not on board. And so I don't even know how to answer that question, Vic. Like, honestly. (laughs) No, it's okay. It's okay. It makes sense. 
but I think that there is potential for it to be learned. And I think that you even coming on here and sharing this story maybe could help someone who didn't really understand how, how this all works. And Mm. I think that it's amazing. What would you say, because I know that there are a lot of women who struggle with infertility that don't even consider adoption or don't even think about it, or it's really not a conversation or maybe they have thought about it and they just don't think that it could be for them. What would, what words of wisdom would you give to someone who maybe is, does have infertility issues? And if you could not, you know, tell them that they should do adoption, but almost just to give them a peace of mind on maybe it could be something for them. That adoption is an option. Um, okay. So women struggling with infertility. I, there are so many amazing accounts on Instagram, um, that advocate for the emotions. And I mean, I had, I could go to baby showers with, after my diagnosis, I had no hard time being happy for other people. Um, but I didn't have a lot of like mourning in my infertility. I didn't suffer through miscarriages. I didn't have like all these triggers. I just was like told I couldn't. And now it's like, I'm on to the next. Well, it, I would say find a circle of people that you can relate to. There's nothing that keeps you in grief more than like fighting your emotions on people and saying like, you just don't understand. So find people that understand. And I promise you they're out there. There's tons of Facebook groups, like, find something local to you if you can't even. Um, so like connecting with people on that level is huge. Secondly, adoption exists for a reason. And, um, I would not be who I am today without our adoption processes. And I, you know, if you're a woman of faith, a family of faith, and you really, really believe that God holds the pen then who are we to deny a route where he could literally, that's what he meant for our life and to write our life, you know, in such a way that, you know, adoption is part of the journey. Um, And I just, I really, really, really believe that. And I'm not, I'm not against in vitro. I am not against um, any kind of fertility treatments. I'm not saying that at all. Um, I just, I know that, if there's so much mourning in one direction, it could be that you are meant to go in another direction. And, um, I, I have had moments, you know, honestly, over the last few years of like, what if I would have done infertility treatments and not to say that I like, wouldn't want the life I want now, but just like, what would our baby look like? Mm -hmm. You know, like, you know, and all those kinds of things. And, um, Every now and then it's still like, kind of like, oh yeah, I never did that. My husband and I never got to push out a baby in the hospital. You know, like we, we never went through watching a belly grow. Like I, um, there's so much in like, you know, breastfeeding and like all, just so many things that come with it that I feel like we did mourn. Um, and that I still do every now and then it'll hit me. Um, but there's so, I would never, ever, ever, and anyone that's adopted, you know, they say that they wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And I'm telling you my, I, if I didn't know any better, I birthed my kids, you know, like I, I love them in that, 
it, like that. Like Finley, I love her so much. It hurts, you know? Um, and yeah, I mean, we're, our souls are connected. So definitely pursue it as an option. If you feel that like tiny, 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 like gut instinct of like, maybe I should see what that's about. Like lean into that. It's so it's, it's overwhelming, but it's worth it. Yeah. My last question for you is from one of my listeners. Um, She's a, a mom as well. And I just knew that she would have, you know, a good question for you because I think a lot of moms, birth moms, biological moms, adopt, adopted moms, foster moms, all moms, we don't discriminate, all when they become a mom may lose a little bit of themselves just as that sole identity. And I knew that she would have a good question on this. So she, she says, you know, how do you still hold on to pieces of who you were before becoming a mom to now? Like, does your identity just become mom? Oh, um, yeah. So mine, my identity became Finley's mom. And, um, you know, in, in my raising her, it was really like, I felt like I kind of had something to prove because I didn't birth her that like, I'm going to be the best mom for her. Like I'm going to. So it became this like overachievement of like, I'm on top of every doctor's appointment and I'm on top of all this. And so yes, it became my entire identity. I stopped doing hair altogether and I didn't work at all for basically the first year of her life. I mean, I had clients come and I would do them in the kitchen, but my identity revolved around my baby being my baby's mom, um, and proving that I was like worthy of being a good mom. And I think that that's an element that a lot of moms, um, you know, feel a guilt over. Like we have mom guilt because we're holding ourselves to this like higher standard. Like I have to be the Pinterest mom and I have to do this and I have to show people that I'm a good mom. Like we're proving our worth in a sense that it can be so overwhelming that you do lose yourself. I completely lost myself. I mean, I stopped even getting ready, like, which is normal with a newborn, but not as they get older. It's like your identity and your, you know, in, in Christianity, your marriage is supposed to come first, you know? So it's kind of like crazy. Um, but I, I started doing things just for me that didn't revolve around mommy culture or mommy wine culture. And I really dove back into work. I, we kind of had to, um, but definitely realizing that you still have a voice and there is still like such a balance of I'm a mom and I'm a, a businesswoman and I'm a wife, you know? And, um, I think I fail at all three every day. <laughs> <laughs> So I think that's normal to feel like that. And I remember someone told me and, you know, I'm sure some, I'm sure you guys have read it somewhere, but it really stuck out to me because it was a dark day. And they said, if you go to bed at night, worried that you're not a good enough mom, that means you are. And that just like, that really helped me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, first things first, I want to apologize for how many times you've I made you cry in this. Uh, oh, girl, I cry every day. It's fine. <laughs> Life. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, okay, is this question maybe not gonna make her cry? But you know what? 
great. We, we love emotion here on for the girls. Um, I'm like, Oh my God, she's going to leave this one. Like, okay, Victoria just ruined my Friday. Oh, um, I love it. Our, story, <laughs> our, our pain has a purpose for other people. I believe that 100%. Um, where can everybody find you? I know you have your Instagram, you have the other Instagram. Um, yeah. Connect with me on Christina, a Smallwood. The longest Instagram handle that exists. <laughs> Christina A. Smallwood. Yes. On and I, oh, and that's Christina with like C H. Yes. And um, you have your other Instagram as well. Fifi and Mo. F I F I A N D Mo. Amazing. Um, well, thank you so 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 much. This conversation was amazing oh thanks for having me Vic I'm serious I it's such a um I haven't walked down this memory lane in a while so I really 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 appreciate you asking me these questions and just having me on it means a lot because you're like so young and cool young and cool (laughs) (laughs) so I'm like oh my gosh she's asking me to go on for the girls this is amazing (laughs) oh my gosh you're so funny (laughs) 